today we're going to talk about work in the church. Work in the church. And uh, did everybody get the notes? Okay, very good. All right, guys. The propositional statement for tonight's lesson is God uses our work to build his church. God uses our work to build his church. And we're building this primarily on two scriptures. The first, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And secondly, from Romans, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Romans ten fourteen and 15. I had uh, about 20 years ago, I had the, the uh, wonderful opportunity to uh, be assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division. This is prior to being married. I reported there for duty in, in June of 1989. I got to serve there for two years, most of it as a company commander, and I got to go to the Persian Gulf War with the 82nd Airborne Division. For those of you that don't know much about the military, the 82nd is, is one of the uh, units in the U.S. Army with, with the proudest lineage and uh, strongest history. They've been around since World War I. They were not an airborne division back then, but in World War II they fought as an airborne division, made uh, several airborne assaults in, uh, in World War II, including on Normandy. They, they jumped into a place called St. Mary Gleese, very famous uh, battle during the uh, D-Day invasion. And uh, this picture is, is a guy I was introduced to very, very early during my tenure in the uh, 82nd Airborne Division. And the story that you see on the right is associated with this picture, although it's not the same guy. They used the picture of a generic paratrooper. The guy's picture is actually a guy named Vernon Haught. And the guy in the story, the, the hero of the story, is a guy named PFC Martin. It's not the same guy, but he's representative. So Haught has become associated with this story in uh, 82nd Airborne Division lore. But this story is built around the Battle of the Bulge, which uh, occurred roughly six months after the D-Day the invasion in, in June of 1944. The Allies were moving inward in France, starting to push uh, Hitler. And the Russians were coming over from the east. Hitler was starting to get, the Germans were starting to get pressed, and they made one final push to try to, to knock the Allies back in, into the ocean, essentially destroy them, and, and, and then come back and face the Russians. That, and that battle that they fought, their final desperate counterattack against the U.S. or against the Allies is known as the Battle of the Bulge. It happened in, a, in December 1944. But the story goes, an entire U.S. Armor Division, a division is roughly 12 to 15,000 men, depending on, the, on the, the type of the division it is. This is an armored division, which if, if you guys don't know what armored means, it means tanks. Okay, so this is a division of tanks. Uh, was retreating from the Germans in the Ardennes Forest when a sergeant and a tank destroyer spotted an American digging a foxhole. The GI, which is you know, a nickname for a soldier, PFC Martin, Private First Class Martin, 325th Glider Infantry Regiment, looked up and asked, are you looking for a safe place? Yeah, answered the tanker. He said, well, buddy, just pull your vehicle behind me. I am the 82nd Airborne, and this is as far as the bank are going. And I'll... I'll <laughs> I'll let you guys fill in the blank there. We have a, 
We have this poster up in our boys' room, and it says we wrote in bad guys. <laughs> but, but that's not what he really said. Um, okay, but keep, keep the story in mind, because we're going to be referring back to it throughout our, uh, our teaching tonight. Why are we doing this teaching, working the church? I think, I think uh, probably one of the strongest doctrines that Palm Vista enjoys is, is the doctrine of the church. I think just the fact that you guys are here tonight and we have another classroom full of Palm Vista ice next door here, again, after a long week, after a long day of learning, is a reflection of your individual love for the church. And I think uh, we recognize, you know, we don't, do, we don't do missions, we do church planting. You know, we, uh, we recognize the importance that God has put on us as a body, on the body of Christ. That we don't, we don't move and, and do things as individuals. We, we are the body of Christ. We are a unit. Um, so as Daniel and I consider what to teach in our four lessons for, for PVI, what we came to the conclusion with was, although we've, we've struggled hard to make sure that everything we presented was biblical, founded on Scripture, we thought our teaching would be somehow incomplete if we didn't address the topic of work in the church. So that's why we're giving you this teaching tonight. And certainly while God blesses us as individuals, you know, each of us is an individual story, an individual testimony. Each of us, you know, again, God is, is, is so magnificent that he can worry about the body as a whole, you know, the big picture. And he also is concerned about the sparrow who falls from the tree. He's concerned about the hundredth sheep who's lost. Now, only God can span that kind of coverage. But, um, but certainly it would be incomplete to teach you guys how to work, how God expects you to work in your individual vocation and not talk about the impact of work in the church and what God uh, has, or, has, has uh, expressed in his word is in instructions he's given us as, as, as a church, as his church in, uh, in work. Um, so there's a strong corporate aspect to what we're trying, uh, what we're trying to do in working in, in our vocational calling. Um, let's begin examining that corporate aspect and Many verses we could have gone to, but this one is certainly a rich one from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Uh, can I get somebody to read it? Jesse? Just, just from there. You can read from there. <laughs> but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Jesse. So again, corporate aspect. We're not just saved as individuals. We're saved as a people. God saves a people for himself. And the purpose for doing this, same verse, embedded in that verse, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we, we talked about your work glorifying God. Again, his purpose for saving a people is the same for saving individuals, that we would glorify him as a people, that you, right here, is a plural you, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we see the same, a lot of the scriptures that we've used, the foundational scriptures, Matthew five fourteen through 16, let your light shine before men, and that Christ is addressing a group of disciples, and again, the references, to, when he uses references to you, they're plural, Colossians three twenty three and 24, 
you know, work as for God, not for men. The, the references to you and that are plural as well. And, and references here in First Peter 2, 9 and 10, he's addressing the you as ustedes, you know, you, um, a plural, plural designation. Uh, this is another excellent verse, captures beautifully the unity of us as, as, a, as God's people, John 17, 21 through 23, that they, all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and this is from Christ's priestly prayer, by the way, in John 17. This is before he goes to the cross. Uh, after the Last Supper, he's praying for, for the disciples and for the church, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So not only are we one with each other, but we're also one with the Godhead. Um, so that the world may know that you have sent me. The purpose for this is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, so the express purpose of this unity, the unity we, we uh, glorify God with, the unity that he has in the Trinity, the unity that we have with him is a testimony that the world may know, that the world may know. And we see it again repeated in the second half of those verses, that they may be one. Again, unity with God as well, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, perfectly one. And again, the purpose, so that the world may know that you sent me. Again, testimonial, glorifying God, and love them even as you love me. So, I think we, we could point to many verses in Scripture of this nature, but clearly... Um, <coughs> God's ultimate purpose is to bring glory to himself, and he does this not only through saving individuals, but through the creation of a people who, who, who reflect a oneness that, that we have with him and a oneness that we have with each other. So a great mystery, but it is God's way, so we know it is, it is the perfect way. Um, for those that are taking notes as well, I refer you as well to Ephesians 4.4. I won't put it up here, but that's an excellent reference as well. Now, given the fact that we are made... You know, when God created us, one of the first things he said about us, it is it's not good for man to be alone. And the context for that, obviously, was giving us a helpmate, a spouse. Uh, but clearly, he, he's created us for community, uh, communion with him and community and communion with each other. So given that that's true, it's a great mercy that we can approach our work from this perspective. Okay, When you go to work, it doesn't matter if you work in an extremely isolated environment and maybe you're even in a hostile environment uh you may be the only believer <laughs> but you you can you can know that you go there um as as number one in christ so you go with the holy spirit and you go in christ and as john three twenty one says what you're doing is done in christ so that people may see that what you're doing is done in christ secondly you go as part of a church you know you don't cease to be a member of a church when you go to work even though you may be alone any more than you, che- you cease to be a father or a mother or a husband or a sister, you know, that is, that is part of your identity as you are part of his body. And, again, you never go alone. Um, so that's the basis for uh, what we're trying to do here. Um, let me just refer back to the illustration. When PFC Martin, when the tanker said, you know, when he told the guy, pull in behind me, he didn't see because I'm, I'm PFC Martin. I'm a tough guy. What did he say? He said, I am the 82nd Airborne Division. He was one guy with one shovel, one rifle, but he said, I am the 82nd Airborne Division. So, you know, functionally, he understood this concept. He understood this concept of, of unity, of, of, of being part of a, a, great, a greater body. And certainly 
we hope, and I know, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here tonight, but certainly that's something we can take to work as well, the same attitude that PFC Martin had. Okay, we're going to cover four main points in the lesson tonight. The first, the first three are oriented towards how the church equips and sustains itself for work. The first one is laying a foundation. The church equips its people for work. The second is upholding the spiritual through fellowship. The church cares for and sustains its people while they work. The third is advancing the physical. The church provides counsel and postures its people for God-glorifying work. And then finally, the final one we're going to look at, how our work benefits the church. The church as an institution benefits from the work of its people. A church that works well for the glory of God. And then we're going to look at a list of uh, things that characterize a church that works well. Okay. Um, as, as a church, um, you know, as a body, we all have a role. Again, we don't pick our roles. God assigns us our roles. He calls us to certain roles in caring for his creation. You know, Eddie's an electrician. You know, he, he glorifies God as an electrician. Marcos is a salesman. He glorifies God as a salesman. It happens to be that we have Al and Corey and Jose Prado. Their specific niche in God's kingdom is to preach the gospel. They're preachers and teachers. Okay, that is no more holy a vocation than being an electrician. But certainly it is a, a very critical vocation. Um, and let's, let's look at that aspect of equipping, the, the specific equipping that we get from the preaching and teaching of God's word of, of the gospel. Um, first... Um, in scripture, when, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, preach the gospel in season and out of season. It's something that's continual, okay? That when, when guys, when pastors teach their churches, they refer them back to the gospel continually, okay? And that's because, as we all know, we drift, right? We are drifters. If, you know, I go to work sometimes on Monday morning, I'm ready to make the best offering possible to God. I say, Lord, you know, today I'm going to do great military planning for you. By the end of the day, I'm ready to kill somebody. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> it is. It is. Thanks for pointing that out, Marcus. But, uh, <laughs> but well, I'm a drifter. I mean, that's what I am. I'm a drifter. And, you know, I could, I could literally be hearing the gospel 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and I can't. I can preach the gospel to myself. But. But we all need to come back to the cross. We all need to be, be brought back to the gospel continually. And that's part of the role of the teacher-preacher is to constantly bring us back. You know, the rest of us are in the interface out there with darkness. Uh, their role is, is, is to keep us part of it. And it's not the only way God does it, but certainly part of the way we, we maintain contact with the cross is, is through the preaching and teaching that these men have been selected by God to do. Okay, so that's, that's one vocation in the kingdom of God. An extremely critical one, and God has blessed us with uh, three magnificent pastors at this time. Um, the second is the gospel inspires us. When we come back to the cross, we use that term very uh, almost flippantly at times in, in, in sovereign grace circles. But part of what we're doing is, is, um, is remembering that we are not our own. In other words, what we're doing, we, we go to work and we can endure insult. We can do unpleasant tasks. We can... Uh, we can do many things because we recognize, as, as we're brought back to the gospel, that we don't belong to ourselves. You know, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So I, I, I've, uh, the gospel reminds us that I've given up a claim on myself, okay? I, I, don't, I no longer have a claim to myself 
I can go out and work for God. Okay, I, this work I do, it may not be particularly pleasant at this time. It may not even be in, in, in my flesh what I prefer to do. But I am not, this is not about me, is it? The gospel reminds me that this is about him. This is about his glory. So that's another critical aspect of being grounded, well-grounded on the gospel, having our work foundation spring from the gospel. Um, finally, and this is, this is one I, I uh, encourage all of you to consider, is as we look, you know, I think every message we get at Palm Vista is gospel-centric. And yet, you know, we've had messages on stewardship, now we're going through a series on materialism. We just finished a series on the atonement. We have a series on marriage, parenting. You know, how are all these things related? Well, it's because the, sh- the shadow of the gospel is in each of these things, right? Everywhere you look in life, you're going to see the gospel, okay? Um, so as, we, as, they, as Corey and Al and, and Jose hold up the gospel, every week we look at it from a slightly different perspective. And what that does, what that really does for us is it, is it gives us the ability to be creative, you know, because we can go to our work, and we can be creative in our work. Is Tim Kelso a carpenter? Of course he's a carpenter. When Tim Kelso gets an old piece of furniture, and he does his magic on it, you know, he, he strips it bare, and he sands it down, and, you know, he, you know, he pulls out old nails, and he recores, you know, and he sands, and he stains, and he makes something old, something beautiful. That's a, that's a shadow of the gospel. He's redeemed something old. He's taken an old thing and he's made it new, just like God does with us. And we see the evidence of that everywhere. I mean, there's not, I guarantee you there's not one profession here that if we're creative enough, we would not see the shadow of the gospel in it. You know, none of us have a, a vocation where we can't see the shadow of the gospel in it. So as we examine the gospel, part of what it should do in us is it should inspire creativity. Um, so that kind of creativity can be spurred as we consider the gospel, as we look at the gospel, how do we bring that into real life? How do we make it more real for the people around us, even for ourselves? So we, we're inspired as, as, we, as we care for God's creation. Um, something else that uh, Corey and Al's teaching does, teaches the doctrines of so- God's sovereignty and vocation. Again, God is sovereign over every human endeavor. There's no such thing as a secular activity. You know, as, as we're reminded of God's sovereignty, his great power. We know that every, everything we do as workers is holy. Everything we do is holy. Uh, there's, there's no such thing as, as a, you know, mundane work. It's not. We, we may choose to interpret it as such, but if we do so, we're not, we're not being truthful. Um, he's sovereign over, again, as Dan spoke about last week, he's sovereign over your gifts. He's sovereign over where he's placed you. He's sovereign over every experience he's given you, every bit of training you've received in your life, whether it was in grammar school or, or some high-tech vocation. He is sovereign over all of that. So, again, as we're, we're taught these doctrines, rich doctrines of sovereignty, vocation, he's called you to a specific place and time, uh, to a specific group of people that he's put you in contact with. As, as we accept those things and we examine them, they lay a foundation for our work, don't they? So further, furthering the work of, or, or, or I guess allowing us to value the work of, of teaching that the church does, laying a foundation. Um, and also, this laying a foundation supports us as we train the next generation, right? I mean, we, most of us here have another 20, 25 years of productive work, okay? We can continue to work, but, you know, we're going to get older, and our minds are going to get feeble, our bodies are going to get feeble. But right now, we're, we're raising the next generation. I mean, we are teaching the next generation of workers. What are we teaching them? Well, we start with the gospel, right? We have many homeschool families represented here. 
we begin by teaching them the gospel. You know, I love when we have our, our uh, homeschool meetings and little children are up here reciting Bible verses, you know, or, or talking about heroes of the faith, you know. Uh, that's, they're being taught the gospel, okay? And I, I commend you all for the superb work you do in that. But um, second, they're studying math and science, and they're learning to recognize that God is sovereign over all these things, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. God is sovereign over every leaf. God, God made every leaf. God has ensured that two and two is always going to be four. He has set the, the universe in motion, and he upholds it in motion. And we have gravity because God doesn't spin the earth too fast or too slow. So they're learning this. I mean, these are things we're teaching them in our homeschool, that God is, God is king over physical sciences, over, over literature, over history. He is king over all that. Um, and finally, they're learning. You know, we're helping them to see their gifting, to see where God has placed them, to uh, identify desires and passions that God has given them for particular things. Um, so we're posturing them for their vocations at the point that God is ready to lead them into those. For some, it may come early. For some, it may not. But, you know, we have a part of our calling is to help the next generation of worker be positioned um, for their specific roles in God's kingdom. So all of that is part of laying a foundation, and that's one way that the church equips us. Okay, that, that is a kind of basic training. Okay, guys, that's basic training. That's what the church does basic training-wise to equip us. Okay? <coughs> Next, there's, a, there's an ongoing iterative component to all of this, which is a sustainment. Okay? You've, you've learned these things as a child. You've, you've grown up in them. You've seen the gospel. Now it's a question of day, week in and week out, day in and day out, the application of these things, the application of these doctrines. And that's the second point, upholding the spiritual. Through fellowship, the church cares for and sustains its people while they work. Um, I think I, I put this slide in the wrong place, guys. But um, this, this spoke to, obviously, remaining in the gospel. We talked about the, the fact that we drift, you know, Christ was very clear that um, we can only be fruitful as long as we are remaining in the gospel, as long as we're remaining in him. Great verse from John 15. Okay. This is the sustainment, what we do. Two components to it on the top, reminds and exhorts as part of what the church does. And now this is not strictly a pastoral vocation. This is a vocation we all have as church members. Um, we remind and exhort each other. Okay, every, everybody from the youngest member of the church to the pastors have th- has this role. Uh, I love this verse from Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's powerful, that beginning portion there, guys. And let us consider. In other words, this is a very deliberate act. It's not, it's not a, a drive-by. I see Tim. I say, hey, Tim, go get him today, man. Go get them. Fix some stuff. But, uh, you know, it's deliberate. I mean, it, and perhaps it doesn't happen with him and me, but certainly it should happen within the home group where, you know, you know what everybody is doing work-wise. You know, I know pretty much what Dan, what's going on in Dan's work, what projects they got him working on. And I should seek, I should consider, I should put time and effort into thinking how he could do that better. How, how can he display the gospel better? Both in, in the means by which he works, his kindness, his humility, and also in the substance of what he's doing, the product that he's been asked to deliver, you know. And that's something we can all do for each other, okay? Remind and exhort. Um, the second is call to account and restore. That's, 
This is the more painful aspect, the accountability aspect of, of what we do. But we're very good at this in, in many areas. We're good at this in parenting, um, in materialism, in, 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 in how we're caring for our spouse. We're very good at calling to account on these things. We may not be quite as faithful in doing this in our work, but, you know, we should be discussing it. We should, were you faithful this week? You know, did you, did you give your employer what he's paying you? Did you glorify God? Were you obedient to authority? You know, did you model a gospel for the people God's put around you? Those kind of questions should be routine, okay? And they're part of calling to account and restoring. And I love this verse from 1 Thessalonians. By the way, Paul had a ton to say to the church about the way we work. Just uh, a lot of admonition from Paul. And we urge your brothers, admonish the idle. In other words, Paul had no, no room for, for idle people in the church. And this is, you see this consistently. I'll give you a bunch of references later. But consistently, he, he uh, rebukes or he tells churches not to, not to tolerate idleness, laziness, uh, sloth within the body. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. So... This is part of the sustainment we're doing day in and day out. This is, this is part of the, the phalanx that works. Everybody know what a phalanx is? Phalanx. I don't know what a phalanx is. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. A phalanx is a, a Greek military. The Greek started as a military formation. It's a square. And the guys on the outside had, had a lances. And the guys on the inside basically pushed them into the enemy. And they moved as a body. They were, they were, I think they had a, about 100 guys in it. And they would move as a body. They would, everywhere they went, and they trained like that. So they would push into the enemy. They would basically fight as a block, you know. But uh, that's a kind of a picture of the church. You know, we should be doing that in our work, you know. One guy's a carpenter. One guy's military planner. One guy's in the Coast Guard. But, you know, we're all, all, we're all doing the same thing. We're glorifying God. You know, we're moving the phalanx around. We're, we're uh, you know, we're encountering, we're putting light into darkness, okay. Um, all right. Let me tell you, as we as we talk about um, if we talk about exhorting uh, and holding holding accountable for these things, let me tell you what how the story with a PFC Martin ends when he uh, when he tells the guys in the tank destroyer, "Pull your tank in behind me." I'm the 82nd Airborne Division. This is as far as you're going. Um, you know what they did? It, it, they hesitated for a moment. And then the, the tank commander, who happened to be uh, Will Rogers' son, Lieutenant Bill Rogers, said, uh, all right, guys, everybody off. Start digging in here. And they all began digging in. And, um, and after that, a couple more guys straggled through and retreat, and they saw this, and they stopped, and they began digging in. And pretty soon they had a small unit an effective fighting unit there, and they had established a strong point against the Germans that eventually would hold through the Battle of the Bulge. So my point is that was an exhortation. You know, he, he exhorted them, you know, by his example, what uh, PFC Morton did. That was an exhortation. He said, I am the 82nd Airborne Division. Get behind me. This is as far as you're going. And it inspired the people around them. And that's, that's what we do when we exhort and remind and hold accountable. It's part of that exhortation that we do for each other. But uh, I, I wanted you to know how that story ends because I think it's a beautiful picture of the church. Uh, there are also practical helps, okay? This statement that we're talking about is, it has spiritual components to it, right? We want to be glorifying God. We want to be 
seeing how both the means and the ends of our work can mirror the gospel, okay? But there's also practical helps that the church can provide. We can provide each other as we work. Um, First is we can help uh, identify and confirm gifting, okay? It is dangerous, guys. You know, when we were doing this, we toyed with the idea of giving you guys a gift test. What are you gifted in? And uh, we chose not to do that because this whole self-identification thing, I mean, there's, there's, there's some, it's not bad, okay, guys? You can say, hey, you know, I think I'm a great, you know, I think I'm a great singer, you know? But certainly part of the value of the church is, is those people around you who love you and know you are going to say, you know what, you're not really a singer. <laughs> I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it. So, and that's, that's appropriate for the church because we're all going to think, again, because we're drifters, we're going we're to tend to think highly of ourselves, right? So part of the role of the church is to help you in that. And may, or maybe, maybe they see something in you that you haven't seen, and they can exhort you. They say, Marcos, you're a great evangelist, man. You, you have the gift of wanting to tell people good news, you know. Um, but that is, that is a healthy, good role for the church, you know, to, to help identify and confirm gifting. Uh, likewise, opportunities, right? We all get opportunities like, hey, man, I just got offered this job, great pay, you know, but what, what can your friends help you do? Well, how much travel? You know, what are the hours? Are you working Sundays? You know, um, what are the expectations? Well, what's the work environment like? You know, you're going to be tempted while you're there. You're going to be seeing things you shouldn't be looking at. You know, are you expected to sell a product that maybe isn't honorable? So what may look like a great opportunity when, when you expose it to the church and your friends and you, you debate it with them, um, it's a practical help. They can say, hey, you know, that, I don't think that's so good for you. I don't think that's good for you. So that's another aspect of the church that, that, uh, that we do. We, we help each other with. Um, finally, network. Network and connect, okay? Um, this has two components to it. When, uh, when we lived in Georgia in the mid-'90s, it was the time we got married. I went, I went to Georgia as a single man after about um, – what, about 10 months, 11 months there is when Shalene and I got married. And um, I was stationed in Georgia, and we, we were part of a little church there in Georgia, a very, uh, very, very tiny church, probably less than 50 people. And, um, you know, we were new in the community, so we'd ask for stuff, right? We'd say, hey, you know, I got a, something broke in my house I need to fix. You know, good handyman. You know, and somebody would say, yeah, you know, call, you know, Joe. Here's his phone number. Great guy, does great work, doesn't charge unreasonably. And, uh, and he's a Christian. And uh, un- when, whenever you ask for a reference, I need a dentist, I need a vet, I need, they would give you the profile of somebody, and then they say, and he's a Christian. And uh, what that spoke to is a, a functional understanding of vocation. I mean, those folks understood, number one, that as, we, as God calls us to care for his creation and things that we typically call cellular vocation, fixing your house, cleaning your teeth, whatever it may be, that if you give it to a Christian, he's going to do it right, okay? If you give it to a Christian, he's going to do it better than somebody who doesn't know the Lord, okay? So they had a functional understanding of vocation. They, they had a functional understanding that what a man believes about the Lord is going to impact his work. Therefore, if you need something done right, you go to a Christian, okay? Plus, it has many other secondary benefits. You know, that guy is prospers, and he can, he can help build his church, and but... But certainly there's a functional understanding there of connecting Christian to Christian, okay? Um, 
Second, second, networking has a, a, a practical effect as well, which is, you know, I work in a place, you know, um, largely unbelievers. So a guy comes to me and says, hey, I need a handyman. You know any handyman? I say, yeah, you know, Kevin Abegg, you know, has done some work in our house. Great work, great integrity, you know, just a great guy. You know, you, you're going you're gonna to like what he does. He charges reasonable prices. You're going to like what he does. Well, what have I found? And, and this guy's an unbeliever. So, you know, hopefully he's seeing the fruit of the gospel in my life, okay? Hopefully he's seeing what God is doing in my life. He's aware of that. Uh, now I'm going to introduce him to another Christian, okay? And he's going to see the gospel at work in another life, okay? And, and he's going to see a different version of the gospel, you know, just, just as redeemed, you know, just, just as valuable a, a pot, uh, part of the body of Christ, but this guy's getting exposed, and hopefully the wheels start clicking in his head. What's up with these people? You know, what's up with these people? There's something about these people. So that aspect of networking is an evangelistic aspect of networking, okay? You're, you're letting somebody see different, different parts of the kingdom of God, you know, and, and, and it'll have its effect. It'll have its effect. Um, as I was preparing, for, or as Daniel and I were preparing for this class, I asked Corey, you know, I ran some of the stuff by him. I said, hey, what do you think of this and that? And he, uh, he pointed me to a, uh, a pastor. He told me, look up this guy. His name is Bill Keller. And he's a, he's a pastor of a Presbyterian church in uh, New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian. Tim Keller. Tim Keller. Uh, I drift. I drift. <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, this is a man who shares the same passion that uh, – Al, Corey, and Jose do for, for this doctrine of vocation. I mean, Al, Corey, and Jose were the ones that chose to teach these two topics here. You know, this wasn't my idea and, and Dan's idea. We were, you know, they asked us to teach this, but the idea to teach this to the church was their idea. They share, this guy Tim Keller shares the same passion for vocation and work and glorifying God in our daily living that our pastors do. And um, so I looked them up, went to, the, you know, Googled them, Tim Keller found a bunch of stuff. He'd written some of his sermons. Uh, in Redeemer Presbyterian, they have established something within the church called the Center for Faith and Works, and it's largely a networking organization, but it's, it's to do the types of things we just talked about. Uh, and it says, uh, you know, they says the Center for Faith and Works, and it says the participants in this share some things in common. One, a passion for seeing the hope and love of the gospel renew the workplaces, professions, and culture of the city which are all too often driven by greed, fear, power, and hopelessness. And we've talked about that, right? We talked about that we should be jealous for our sphere of vocation, right? That if Tim sees a fellow carpenter cutting corners or being shoddy, he should be, something about that should, should make him a little jealous. Just like Christ was jealous in the temple when he saw the money changers there turning a house of prayer into, into a marketplace, we should share that same kind of thing. Well, that's exactly what they're saying there. Um, Second, a commitment to the truth that God intended for us to work in his image and be stewards of the resources and institutions of our world. Okay, the, largely what we talked about in the first two lessons, okay? Glorify God in your work. God is sovereign, and he makes us his agents in, in specific callings that he gives to us, okay? So same things we've been talking about. A concern that our lives are increasingly bifurcated, which means split, with little connection between our faith and faith community and our way of working in our careers. So again... God's sovereignty over every human endeavor, over all of our work. A willingness to grow in our relationship with God and our relationship with the Christian community that God has provided for our support and refinement. 
the concept that we're talking about today, Christ or God in, God in work or the church in work, work in the church, how we should do that as community. And finally, a desire to create programs, community initiatives that pool talents and resources of Redeemer toward the goals of renewing our city and culture, which is, again, what we're talking about tonight, work, work in the church. Okay? So this is a, a church slightly larger than ours, but sharing a common vision, okay, that you can, you know, our work should be oriented towards glorifying God in, in the darkness, darkness places of, of, of Wall Street, um, of the marketplace, wherever you happen to be. We, we, are, we are light, we are cities, by God's grace, we are a city on a hill. You know, as a people, we are a city on a hill. And a wonderful vision. I thought I'd share that with you guys tonight. Okay. Now let's look for a minute at the reciprocal effect. We've talked about the ways that the church equips its people, both those who are vocationally called to professions within the church, the pastors, as well as what we do with each other as, as laymen within the church, how we uh, sustain our work, lay a foundation, sustain it, and then practical helps we can give each other. Now let's look at uh, the final point, the church as an institution, uh, and how we benefit from, the, from our collective work. And uh, these are some things as, as uh, we were going through and the scriptures and looking up different scripture, these, these things jumped out pretty, uh, pretty clearly, um, particularly from, from the epistles. Um, but these are, I would call these marks of a, of a working church. A church that works well for the glory of God, number one, gains a broader, more vibrant proclamation of the gospel. Uh, undoubtedly, if, if we take what we've been discussing here the last four weeks to heart, if we take these convictions that God is sovereign, that we glorify him in our work, that there's no such thing as mundane, um, that he has placed us with very, I mean, before the creation of the world, God knew Tim would be a, uh, I don't know what your right title is, but would it be a maintenance man for the Miami-Dade schools? Before the creation of the world, God had designed that for Tim. Uh, if we, and he had designed the men that he would put around him at that time so he could be a light to. Um, if we take that seriously, what an impact it would have on what we do every day. What an impact it would have. You know, Jesse's in an administrative, uh, doing administrative work right now, but, you know, God ordained that before the creation of the world. There's no, no such thing. You know, she, is, she makes images. You know, she scans medical records. And, and again, you can see gospel implications of that. God, Christ was a representation of God when they said, show us the Father. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So we can see the gospel in what Jesse does. But if we take those things seriously, if we really believe these, if we come to a biblical conviction about them, um, what, tell me we're not going to have a more vibrant proclamation of the gospel in what we do as a church, as a body of believers. I, I, I just can't believe that we wouldn't. I can't believe that we wouldn't. Um, let's look at some second um, or the first point under that bullet is evidence, evidencing changed lives. A church that works well for the glory of God gains a broader, more pri- vibrant proclamation of the gospel. Part of it is evidencing changed lives, okay? Look at this, uh, these two passages from Titus. They're talking about first century creed here, Okay. Sean, can you read the one on the left? One of the. Hello? Oops. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, 
are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not demoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Okay, that's, that's the flesh. That's the man of the flesh. Okay, that's the man of the world. Let's read about God's people now. Um, can you pass the mic to Tim? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. I guarantee you guys, it's some, well, I guarantee you, without doubt, some of the folks here, maybe months or years before, were these guys right here. You know, lazy beasts, lazy gluttons, evil beasts, transformed by the power of the gospel, by the work of Christ on the cross. That's, can you imagine if you're a first century Cretan, and you see your buddy who you used to go drinking and carousing with, and now he is, a, he is a changed man by the grace of God, and he is zealous for good works. What an evidence that is. What an evidence that is. Um, and that, that is in itself a vibrant proclamation of the gospel. Um, second sub-bullet there, being viewed well by outsiders, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, 12, critical for the reputation of the church. Paul said that often, you know. Work well, that we may be well, viewed well by outsiders, that outsiders would have nothing to say against us. Uh, intentionally living out the gospel in a secular sphere before many of those who need it most. Again, Christ's specific entreaty to us, his people in, in Matthew 5. Um, secondly, we unburden the body. Paul was unique among the apostles in that he chose to do the work he did and he also worked as a tent maker. And, you know, you guys know this. You're well taught. His purpose for that was to unburden the church. We did not want to be a burden to you. Okay? And he, furthermore, he says, imitate me in this. He says, imitate me in this. So for those who, of us who are able to work, okay, for those of us who have the capacity to work, we unburden the church when we do that. And I think that applies to more than just are you employed or unemployed. I mean, clearly we go through seasons you know, some of us have when we're unemployed, but but I think it applies as well to what are you doing within the job God has given you. You know, if if uh, if you are being a slackered, you know, if you're not taking full advantage of every opportunity to glorify God through your work, if you're not being deliberate in it, if you're punching a clock, I think you're burning the church because you could be doing more. You know, you, there's more you could be doing at your work to glorify God, to advance the gospel. And you're being a slacker. Now, I'm not speaking to anyone here directly. My point is simply that you burden the church. That is a burden to the church. You're a, you're a ten-talent guy, and you're performing a seven-talent 
level or a five-talent level. What are you? You're functionally a burden to the church. You know, that's not what God intended for you. God intended for you to carry a ten-talent load, you know. So you're burdening the church. Um, you also increase material provision for the, for the church for these specific purposes. One, to pastors. Even though Paul did not work because he wanted to be an example, he wanted to unburn the church, he's also very clear that you don't muzzle the ox. So part of what we, those of us who are, who are in, the, in the light and darkness, um, you know, with our light facing darkness, those of us in that role have a responsibility to give to those who, who, who pastor, who teach, okay? It's, it's, it's biblical, completely biblical. Galatians 6, 6 is a wonderful um, verse for that. Those in urgent need, okay? Clearly, some of us are ten-talent people. We have the capacity to work. God has given us the gifting to work. Uh, some of us are not. Some of us are either weak, uh, inca- physically incapacitated, mentally incapacitated. Perhaps you have widows, orphans. Um, again, God, God has distributed things unevenly as, in his divine purposes, for his sovereign will. He, or by his sovereign design, he's, he's distributed things unevenly. But for those of us that can work, we provide for those who are in need or in urgent need. Ephesians 4.28 and Titus 3.14. The weak, again, Acts 20.35, those who, are, uh, who can't provide for themselves, those of us who can, fill that gap, help fill that gap. Uh, and then reproduction. Those of us who can you know, provide material provision, things cost money, guys. Producing a Bible costs money. Planting a church costs money. These things, training a pastor costs money. So... That's all part of reproduction. Those of us who are able to produce, you know, and work and gain, we, we provide material provision for these things. And, and that's God's, by God's design, by God's design. We're also a more unified church. Uh, I didn't put the scripture up, but several, t- I'm going to read a couple of lines here from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And later on in, in verse 12, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. So if you've got somebody in the church who is not working, who is being idle, is not fulfilling their role, Paul's command is that we break fellowship with that person. And it says, um, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Okay, we don't treat him as an unbeliever, but we certainly want to put them to a healthy shame. We want, we want to entreat them to come back and to work hard, okay? So clearly if we have folks within the church, and again, I'm not, this is not, I'm, I'm just telling you what I, what I see in Scripture. Clearly, if you see this, it's divisive. It's divisive. If, if, if people aren't pulling their work, the command in Scripture is break fellowship. That's divisive. That can't be good for a church. So a church that works well is a more unified church. It's the reciprocal of that, right? If, if everybody's pulling their weight, if everybody's putting their shoulder to the wheel, then, you know, we are a more united church. Um, and finally, we bear fruit. Colossians 1.10, bearing fruit in every good work. And again, Titus 3.14. And that fruit takes many shapes. It takes fruit in our maturation as we become more and more like Christ. It also takes fruit in gaining converts, okay? Um, so let me finish with this, and I'm going to turn it over to Daniel here to do some application. But imagine this is, this is us, okay? This is, not a, this is not PFC Martin, 
Battle of South Florida. Hey, brother, are you looking to glorify God? Well, just come and work alongside us. We are his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Okay, let me go through real quick and do a, do a quick review. I'm just going to ask you guys to read what you see coming up on the, on the, this is a review of our four lessons, okay? You could have done it all in five minutes, guys. <laughs> all right, I'm going to turn it over to Daniel. I'm a consultant. What we're going to do is we're going to just kind of go back through the, through the four lessons here. And what we're really looking for is we want to give testimony. This is really kind of an application of what you just heard. Is If we're going to talk about work in the church, if we're going to talk about building each other up, then what we're going to do is we're going to walk our way through those introductory slides that you saw, lesson one, two, three, four. And what I'm looking for is, is testimony to God's faithfulness. So if anybody has example of you know, how these particular things have affected how God has used these things in their particular life, um, how you've gained a newer understanding or been able to apply these things in, in a work setting. Um, that's kind of what we're looking for. Again, just to kind of build one another up and to see how the Spirit's actually using this time that we spent together so that y'all aren't all just individuals thinking, all right, well, I learned this little piece or this part was helpful, but, but nobody in the room knows that. So we're just, again, this is just testimony to God's faithfulness. So we just wanted to spend a little time doing that. So let's just pray and ask that God uh, just enlivens our hearts here. Lord, we do come before you. We pray you would use this time, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, that you would, uh, that we would see how you're building your church, Lord, that you would uh, show us evidences of your grace in our lives, Lord, that we might honor you. Uh, for your great work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, does anybody have any examples of how this, this particular lesson, God's work, um, spoke to them, uh, a testimony of how this uh, really, you've been able to apply this perhaps, that kind of thing? I'll say something. Here, give me the mic. Give that man the mic. This first, the first uh, teaching about God assigns import and significance to work, what I really took from that teaching was the motivation not to be idle, because the work that God has given me is the work that he has given to me for a very specific purpose, and it's a way that I can honor him, and it's all too easy to forget that at work. And I can tell you, tell you that from this first lesson all the way through till now, I've bounced around a little bit. But when I went to work right after this lesson, I clearly had a new focus um, and, and a, a changed motivation for working hard and for um, staying away from the temptation to be diverted away from the tasks that I needed to uh, go after. So, Thank you for that.